tonight, the fifth annual Big East Big 12 battle commences with a couple of great games. Texas Tech Butler at Hinkle, Creighton, Oklahoma State at Gallagher Iba Arena. And for this bonus edition of the Igloo, I know that I put one out earlier in the week, but now with the battle commencing tonight, let's run it back one more time to preview it. Pat Madden from the Big Big East blog to represent the Big East. And, of course, my good buddy and who knows the Big 12 as a Kansas Jayhawk fan, knows the Big East, too, as a Seton Hall alum like myself, Ryan Patty. Gentlemen, welcome back, and uh, happy to run it back one more time with the two of you. Yeah, Tim, I, I love doing this every year. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, this is one of the best weeks of the college basketball season. It's two conferences that uh, many believe are the two best in the country, clashing. Obviously, the SEC is very good this year, but these are two very good conferences, surefire top three conferences, I'd like to say, um, you know, widespread. That that belief is true. So, uh, yeah, now I'm excited to talk about each game and break things down. Couldn't say it better than Ryan just said. All right, let's start 6.30, FS1, Texas Tech Butler. Right now, the the dogs are favored by two and a half, and Butler has been uh, quite a revelation despite a 5-2 and two record. But the two losses they had, Michigan State and FAU. And FAU, they took down to the wire um, in the ESPN Events Invitational. Texas Tech with the one loss coming against Villanova. I mean, I think this is about as close of a toss-up as you can get um ryan i know that last year we talked about texas tech um with their non-conference i think it was two years ago they had a weaker non-conference schedule uh going into the providence game and they lost it's kind of a similar script this time around but how are you feeling about uh texas tech under their new um head coach no, I mean, I'm interested to see how they fare in this one. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun one. Um, obviously, Michigan's probably their their signature win, I guess, right now, right? Um, they lose to Nova. Nova, I feel like, is a team that if, you know, you're not guarding them from three, uh, it's going to be 40 minutes of hell, and, and you're just going to be against the eight ball the whole time. Um, playing at Hinkle's tough. I, I think I, I would lean Butler in this one, but – I think if you're Texas Tech and everything you've kind of dealt with the past couple of years and just so much change in the program, um, you know, it's a it's a good start. It's one that makes you feel hopeful about the rest of the season. But this is a tough game, and I think I got to go with Butler here. I think this is one the Big East is going to get. Pat, where are you leaning? I'm going the opposite direction, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. One, McCaslin is a great defensive coach. Uh, you look at his North Texas teams. And they were they they could shut down almost anybody in the country. Uh, if you want to put it this way, he's a defending NIT championship coach uh, because North Texas won the NIT, and he was he was in charge before he took the Texas Tech job. Right after that, uh, I think Butler's where Butler has improved this season has been offensively. I mean, you look at DJ Davis, you look at Pierre Thomas, you look at Posh Alexander, you look at those guys. And Butler is playing a style of basketball that Butler fans don't even recognize. Uh, and if they can get it going offensively, given that they have a home crowd, it could be a long night for Texas Tech. But I do think because they, they some of the play, like Joe Toussaint, for example, comes over from West Virginia. Uh, you've got a, you've got for another big player for West Virginia from Texas Tech is going to be Darian Williams. Uh, they've got players who have won big games in the Big 12 in the past, have won in some hostile environments in that conference. So I don't think Hinkle Magic is the, as much a factor for those guys as it might be for a team with, you know, less experience or players who have played in, you know, lower conferences. So that's why I'm going to I'm going to go with the upset and take Texas Tech uh, to steal one out of Hinkle. And it's weird that it would be considered an upset here because Butler, I mean, for the last three years, they have not been very good. Um, and I'm, I feel like I'm putting it lightly because they finished bottom three in the league each of the last three years. But Thad Mata is just stringing it together um, at just the right time. And he's got the right group of guys 
that is fitting under his image, you know, with Pierre Brooks, uh, Telford, uh, Jalen Thomas um, commanding the paint. And then another guy that I, the big one, everyone's talking about DJ Davis, but it's been Brooks and Telford leading the way. And Pasha Alexander has been a revelation too, averaging nearly 11 points, four and a half dimes and doing what he does best, getting steals on defense, averaging a steal and a half per game. I'm going Butler. Texas Tech will keep it close. But listen, last year, Butler took on a Kansas State team that was undefeated at the time. Hadn't really been battle tested, kind of like Texas Tech has, although Texas Tech has the one L against Nova. And based on that, I like the trend of Butler getting a win, but I think it will be close. So I'm going with Sigma. I'm agreeing with Ryan, going with the dogs. Now, in a game that I feel like it should be a wash in terms of like consensus. Who's the pick here? Number 15, Creighton, visiting Oklahoma State in Stillwater. I remember a couple years ago, we talked about Oklahoma State hosting Xavier on a Sunday while football is still prevalent. And it's a Thursday night. Oklahoma State football is in the Big 12 championship game on Saturday. I'm sorry, but Oklahoma State fans are not going to give a shit about this game. They're not going to turn out. And even if they did turn out, Pat, and I know you'll agree with this, I don't think they're they're not beating Creighton. No chance. I wouldn't say no chance. I mean, we, right. a lot of people thought they were going to roll through that tournament in Kansas City last week, and then they got and then they got buzzsawed by uh, a, a better than everybody thought Colorado State team. But to just assume that Creighton's going to walk on the court and and get a W simply because they have you know Cork Brenner, Shireman, Alexander, and Ashworth is you know they they could have like. Alexander, for example, only went for three points in the Colorado State game uh, last week. I mean, I agree with you that Creighton should win this game. I think it could be closer than a lot of people think, although I think the spread is five. I think it's uh, seven and a half last time I checked. Seven and a half. Okay, my mistake. I, I The spread is the spread. I think that's not a that's not a bad number to go with in terms of what Creighton should win. But, you know, and I, I hate to say a lot of it dictates on what Creighton team shows up. But, but that's the reality. I mean, if they have another bad shooting night like they did in Kansas City last week, uh, Oklahoma State has a chance to pull with the upset at home. Uh, but I do think if, if Creighton gets their act back together, they shoot they shoot the way Creighton normally shoots, I think it's going to be a long night for Oklahoma State. Yeah, no, I, I feel like this one could get out of hand for, for Oklahoma State. Uh, I think – just really what Boynton's done over the past couple of years. Like, like what, what has he done? Like, it's just a team that's never really put it together. They have a bunch of good players. I love Bryce Thompson, but I, I just, it's never been, they've never been able to put it together. And this is a game where, uh, okay, you know, they could win and it could kind of, you know, get them through the rest of the season. Like that's your launching pad, but they've never won a game like this. I think Tim hit the nail on the head. Like I always think about this game, like, Hey, like can the fans show up? Can the fans like start getting behind basketball? And I I don't see that that, that's going to happen tonight. I just, I think Creighton's going to run away with it. I think it could get, you know, 15, 20 points, especially if they're knocking down shots and, and Oklahoma state's guards aren't playing defense. And yeah, no, I, I like Creighton big. And, um, and yeah, no, I think that, that Creighton's wake up call, uh, uh, you know, this this past week is is perfect. Um, I, I think they're going to come in here focused and uh, take Oklahoma Oklahoma State seriously and and kind of just run them out of the building. And I know they're. I mean, this part of a two game road trip because they got Nebraska Sunday in Lincoln and Nebraska humiliated them in Omaha last season. So they're they're already pissed off about losing to Colorado State. They're going to take out that anger on Oklahoma State, and then they're going to remember, oh, yeah, Nebraska embarrassed us a year ago. Now we got to go into Lincoln and get our receipt, if you will, and take care of a two-game road trip, um, especially against your in-state rival, to close it out and take care of business. Friday's a really great day um, in terms of the Big East Big 12 battle. Four games on the slate. We start in Cincinnati. Number six, Houston. Taking on Xavier. Houston unbeaten at 7-0. Xavier coming off the epitome of brutality, as John Rothstein likes to say. Losing a bye game at home to to Oakland um, earlier in the week. I mean, if you're Xavier, that's the worst thing that could happen to you before a big game like this. 
And Ryan, you know, Houston's new to the conference. I think they're only the they're the only newbie in the league that's competing in this year's battle. Um, how you like the Cougars? How do you think they look? And how do you think they're going to fare um, in what should be a rowdy Cintas Center? The the Cougars they're they're not as good as they were last year, um, but they bring in L.J. Cryer, and he's one of the best scorers in the country. And I think that they're just going to play a Kelvin Sampson game. And I like the Cougars here. I think that. Um, you know, come conference plays where they're going to start taking their bumps and bruises. But this is still a really good team, a really well-coached team. Um, and like you said, you know, losing a bye game before this one where you're bringing in uh, a coach that's very good and, you know, a bunch of veteran players, I think, you know, the deck stacked against Xavier here. And um, I like Houston. I do think that they're, like I said, they're going to take their bumps and bruises in conference play. And I'd have them behind uh, Kansas and behind Baylor in the conference. But this is a game where I think they're just going to be licking their chops and uh, they're going to get the job done. And I think this will be the first game, the the Big 12 wins in this uh, this series. Pat, from a Big East perspective, um, Xavier's got an uphill climb, but it's not like they're not up to the challenge and not capable of pulling an upset like this. I think they'd have to play better than anybody has thought they've played all season. And I would include the St. Mary's way because <clears throat> from, from what St. Mary's has been at the beginning of the season, they're not as good as everyone thought St. Mary's was going to be either. Uh, that Oakland exposed a, a few weaknesses with Xavier that Houston is primed to exploit on, on Friday evening. Uh, they, they did not do a great job rebounding. Uh, their inside players are either – Osumi, who is a tra- who, who's transferred in, who hasn't been as good as Xavier thought they were, and then the three European bigs who were missing in action on uh, on the game Friday, on, on the game on Monday night. Uh, you know, Desmond Claude could go off and put thirty points on the board, and that might be the one chance that Xavier has of you know pulling the home upset on their own. But then again, uh, you know, Kelvin Sampson knows how to stop big scores uh, like Desmond Claude, particularly, you know, is he going to get help from Quincy Oliveri? Is it going to be help from Davian McKnight? Is he going to help from Trey Green? Uh, I don't know if I trust any of the, those guys enough to be sort of like the secondary score to uh, offset what Houston does to try to contain uh, Desmond Claude. So in that sense, I agree. I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tough because, you know, Cintas is a tough place to win. But I think Houston is that is that good where and again, another another team that has done well in hostile environments in the past. So I do think that uh, Houston finds a way to get the W uh, and disappoint uh, the Xers out there in uh, Cincinnati. So my take on this, the way they played against Purdue a few weeks ago, it that's kind of what's given me the glimmer of hope that they could pull off an upset because they played a very good game against Purdue at Mackey who, and we know Purdue's number one in the country right now. And by the way, it was heinous that they were even 15 and a half point underdogs and they more, they covered losing by 12, but still loss is a loss, but to take the number one team in the country and challenge them much more than everyone thought they would, that is what, gives me at least like they have somewhat of a glimmer of hope that they could beat Houston and pull the upset. I just don't think it's happening. That's just the bottom line. Um, Seven o'clock ESPN two Rick Pitino back in Morgantown, taking on West Virginia, West Virginia is three and three. And by the way, you want to, you want to hear some bullshit. West Virginia is favored according to ESPN analytics, about 52.7% favored according to the, matchup predictor that is a bunch of bullshit but whatever um i'm not saying st john's is going to go into morgantown and route the mountaineers but patrick given how st john's has played um how they looked against holy cross on saturday their last time out and how they at least closed their i guess what a disappointing trip to charleston at least they closed it out with a win over utah i think they're trending more in the right direction right now than the mountaineers are well, I mean, West Virginia's it's been a disaster uh, in West Virginia uh, regarding, you know, Huggins is out. He gets uh, he, he gets forced to resign in the summer. They lose 
Uh, one big transfer that was that was supposed to be there, who was going to be a big player for them, Jose Perez. Uh, they don't get it. They don't get a transfer waiver on a rate. I think his name is Raekwon Battle, uh, who is also supposed to be a big contributor. And then, uh, you know, everyone's favorite Big East inter interconference transfer, a Cook, a Cook, unfortunately went down in an exhibition about a month ago uh, with some type of medical problem, and he hasn't been able to come back. Uh, so West Virginia suffered a whole bunch of bad luck over the first month of the season, including losing to Monmouth of all schools at home. Uh, you know, I mean, you would, you would think that that leads to a perfect opportunity for St. John's to win a comfortable game. And in theory, when I looked at it earlier in the week, uh, that's, that's the direction I was going, but I think there's two things that have come up, which, you know, complicate things. One is the status of Chris Ledwood. Uh, the big power forward transfer who came out from Harvard, who Patino has said that he's not 100% and he's not sure how many minutes Ledlam can play. And without Ledlam in the mix, uh, it leaves St. John's kind of weak in the front court. Uh, you know, then the other the other factor is, uh, you know, a, a name that the St. John's fans and Iona fans know pretty well, Quinn Zlazinski. Uh, the power forward who's been scoring very well for West Virginia, despite their woes during the season. And Slazinski going to walk into this game with a chip on his shoulder because originally he was supposed to be on the St. John's roster. And then when they picked up Ledlam, of all people, uh, Patino kind of convinced Slazinski to look for other options. And that's how he ended up on the West Virginia roster. So I do think St. John's, I'd still have St. John's winning. I probably wouldn't have them winning by as much as I had them earlier in the week. I do think this is one that will come down to the closing minutes. I think this this West Virginia team, the way the way it's currently constructed, is just not a good team. Uh, they're shooting the ball horribly. They're shooting, I think, thirty eight percent, and then they're <clears throat> shooting under thirty percent from three. Uh, sure, St. John's had their struggles in Charleston. I watched that that game against North Texas. I actually thought they were going to lose that game down the stretch, but they pulled it out. And I think a moment like that um, kind of helps you in a game like this where it could get that tight down the stretch. And like Pat said, I think it's going to be a close game, but I like St. John's. I think they win a, a game that comes down to the final couple possessions. I think they get a couple stops. I think West Virginia misses some shots down the stretch. And yeah, I like, I think Rick Pitino is going to, you know, be pumping his fist uh, on the sideline at, at the end of the game. Um, I think this will be a big one, uh, a gut check win for St. John's in a, in a tough place to play. So I'll, I'll give you a matchup I really like. I mean, I know in the NBA, the traditional big has gone away, but in college it's still very much prevalent. The matchup I really like, Joel Soriano against Jesse Edwards. I, I, I'm intrigued by it because Jesse Edwards – Big dude transferring from Syracuse, and because, you know, I'm from around here, I got to see a lot of him. And he is a presence. Um, awkward, but a presence. Um, and he's been able to hone his game really well. He's averaging right around 11 rebounds a game. Soriano right around 10 and a half. Um, they, they have almost equal footing. Soriano's the better player. But I'm intrigued to see how Soriano is going to match up with Edwards, because Edwards is a very good shot blocker. And Soriano, you know, he's got to have that post repertoire to weave and maneuver around Edwards to score and be that top scorer for the Red Storm like he was last year and is expected to be this year. And, you know, if he's able to get it going, that's going to open things up for the guards. Denise Jackson. Does he need pump fakes, Tim? Thank you. I've been saying this on my show and voice the colors for fucking years. And finally, <laughs> someone gets it. Pump fakes. <laughs> it helps. Pump fakes matter, people. It's a lost art. But I'm going to kind of go along with you guys. St. John's will – it'll be a close game. But I think St. John's ends up winning by, like, in the 6-9 to nine range, I would say. It'll be a 2-3 to three possession game. <laughs> and, yeah, Saint, I think St. John's pulls it out. Now, in, now a game that could get ugly, it, it, like really ugly – we head to the Windy City, Iowa State, and DePaul. Uh, DePaul's one in five. Things don't look good. And it could get even worse because this is one game in a very difficult stretch of games that they have coming up. 
Um, cause they go to Texas A&M, they get Louisville at home in a sickos committee special. Uh, they get Northwestern as well. And then they open a big East play against Nova. Like that is a gauntlet in December. Uh, Pat, uh, you, you've seen the blue demons, um, and their struggles. Um, and the last thing they want <laughs> is the Cyclones coming into town and potentially wreaking a lot of havoc literally and metaphorically on Wintrust arena. Well, I mean, <clears throat> leaving how awful DePaul has played on paper, you've got an interesting matchup between DePaul still has a lot of good offensive weapons. Deshaun Nelson, Chico Carter. Uh, they've got guys who Fisher, they have, they have guys who can score. The problem is they play no defense. Yep. Now the problem, the flip side to that is that Iowa state is one of the best defensive teams in the big 12, if not the country. Uh, and they have struggles on the offensive end. Uh, but I do think that, you know, just the, I, I don't know how DePaul would have to play some type of game many levels above what they've played this season. I mean, even even I think the one when they had, which was against South Dakota, uh, they struggled to get uh, they struggled to hold a lead in that game. I think they won by 12, but South Dakota kept it tight. And then, you know, all the bad losses. Long Beach State, Northern Illinois, Purdue, Fort Wayne. I mean, if those teams are beating DePaul at home, you know, what's Iowa State going to do to them? So I, I do think that, you know, this this probably – now, luckily, there's other games to watch uh, while there's DePaul. There's another game we're going to talk in about 10, 20 seconds about that's better than this that we can watch instead of that DePaul game. Yeah. Uh, but I do think Iowa State gets, gets the win, wins handily, and, you know – that the woes for the dual demons continue. You know, for some reason, I had this weird feeling that in the, in the, what I'm going to call, and Brian will appreciate this, the Jalen Coleman lands bowl, uh, <laughs> former blue demon yeah. and cyclone. Um, these teams are supposed to meet in the battle in the COVID season of 2020, 21. And for some reason, um, DePaul, I mean, the last time they played a battle game, it was, in 2019, the inaugural battle, and they beat Texas Tech, the reigning national runner-up. Weirder things have happened in Chicago, but it's not going to be like that tonight, uh, Friday night. The Cyclones are going to win. I wouldn't be shocked if they end up winning by, like, like 20. I would not be surprised. But something tells me DePaul is going to, like, hang around, like, make things kind of relevant. But, yeah, no. Nah, Iowa State's going to win by at least – Double figures. Now, a game that Pat kind of like hinted at it, a game that I pray to God won't be decided by double digits because it's that good of a matchup. And the fact that it's on ESPN2 is a goddamn crime. Number four, UConn, and number five, Kansas, at the Fog. Uh, Ryan, I mean, come on. These are your, quote-unquote, your Jayhawks. In a, this is a marquee matchup in their first real big home game of the season. Um and UConn's the defending national champs. How are you feeling about this matchup, especially with that battle of the bigs between Dickinson and Klingon? I will say this about the Iowa State-DePaul uh, game because Pat made a great point. Like, Iowa State's really bad offensively, and DePaul, uh, I think, can hang around because of that. I, don't be surprised if this is an ugly game in the 40s or 50s, but I do think Iowa State wins, so I do agree with both of you guys there. But... Um, yeah, no, this this game on Friday, I, I've been looking forward to it uh, since it was scheduled. Um, I think it's a great test for for the Jayhawks because it hasn't been a good start to the season. I feel like uh, if Tennessee shot the ball better, we could have two losses. But I think that this is a game where traditionally Kansas, it, it's Kansas's get-right game. It's the game where the crowd is is finally bananas at Allen Fieldhouse. You know, obviously – Every game sold out and the crowd's great for every game. But this is, you know, usually the first game. And it's always that first non-conference test that we get where the crowd is absolutely everyone's on their feet and it's vintage Allen Fieldhouse. And that's usually where the opponent gets flustered. But obviously UConn hadn't gone all the way last year. Uh, Danny Hurley's coaching a lot of environments like this uh, everywhere he's gone. So I think that they're going to be ready for um, for the atmosphere. But I don't think that uh, 
they're going to be ready for the best version of the Jayhawks. And, and yes, no, I, I think that Candace is going to win this game. And I think that Candace is going to play their best game to this point because that, that honestly has not happened yet. And you can go back to the, the charity game against Illinois. Um, and even with how well they played in Puerto Rico and, and against Kentucky in that second half, they, they just haven't played a full great uh, 40 minutes yet. And I think that's going to happen on Friday. I think UConn's a great team and it's going to be a good game, but I think this is going to be one where, you know, Candace wins by uh, 10 to 15 points, like 80 to 70 or uh, 85, 70, something like that. I think Candace is just going to go out and play a great game. They're going to knock down shots. And I think they're finally just going to put it all together and, and play their best game because it hasn't happened yet. They, they, they really haven't played a great full 40 minutes yet. And uh, I think they'll be up for the task on uh, 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 tomorrow night. And Pat, is it just me or am I really shocked? I mean, I know Kansas is capable of it, but I'm fl- 10 to 15. I mean, Pat, how are you feeling? Oh, well, let, let's use a phrase that Connecticut fans use as a joke all the time. Uh, Danny damn it, Hurley. Do it. No. Danny, Danny, Danny Hurley can't win close games. Uh, they walk into this game with a 24 consecutive non conference double digit win streak. And that includes blowing through the field in the NCAA tournament last season, you know, beating Gonzaga, beating Miami, beating San Diego State. Uh, So this game goes one of two ways. Either Ryan is right and that Kansas plays to a level that we haven't seen yet this season, including those games in Hawaii, or, you know, Connecticut just keeps marching on the way they just seem to do, regardless of who the opponent is, regardless of where the game is played. Uh, my question about Kansas is that who's going to be, let's say, the, the third or fourth option scoring-wise? Obviously, Dickinson's going to get his points. Obviously, Kevin McCullough's going to get his points. Uh, but how does a K.J. Adams play? How does a Juwan, how does a Dewan Harris play? How do those guys play? Because, you know, Connecticut can give you – Connecticut's got five or six guys who can like the scoreboard up between Newton, Caravan, Spencer, uh, Johnson, Ste- Stephen Castle. I don't know if Stephen Castle's playing. Uh, I but think he's slated to come back. Castle is slated to come back. So, I mean, they have a lot of – even Solomon Ball coming off the bench can put some points on the board. So, I picked Connecticut to win by double figures, and I'm sticking to that because I don't I, – It's I, I'd love to – you know, for Ryan's purposes, you know, I, I'd love to see Kansas play as well as they're expected to play because I, I do think that that's, you know, I, I, I was disappointed in the way I saw Kansas play in Maui, and I'd like to see some redemption from Kansas. But, you know, based upon how Connecticut just seems to continue to roll and roll and roll, I'm, I'm not going to change course upstream. I'm going to stick with the Huskies winning. I'll, I'm going to say the Huskies win by double digits because – you know, that's that's just the way it is. I can't we can't break the narrative of Danny Hurley winning a close game. So it literally, Pat, you, you br- first of all, thanks for stealing what I was going to say. <laughs> Secondly, I mean, I think there's I think it's th- I mean, you got it's the, you have the po- polar opposites. Pat, UConn double digit win. Ryan, Kansas double digit win. Where's the middle ground? It, that's kind of where I'm at because I really think these two teams are so good and so equal that it's going to be hard for me to believe that it's going to be a route. Um, unless for, I mean, but it could go either way. UConn could do what they've always done. Dan Hurley can't win close games and just blow Kansas out of their own building. Kansas could very well do the same thing and run UConn out of, out of Allen Fieldhouse. I'm more in the middle, and I think that non-conference win streak that UConn has accumulated, I think that comes crumbling down um, at Allen Fieldhouse, but it'll be a close game. Give me the Jayhawks, 83-79. I think they end up getting, you know, like, you know, they ice the game with a couple of free throws in a two-point game, make it a two-possession game, that'll be that. I will say this about Pat's take, and I think if Kansas loses – that's how they lose. I think they'd be down 
10 to 15 points the whole way, kind of like how they lost to Marquette where they're just turning it over and, you know, nothing's efficient. But I think this is going to be the game where they take good care of the ball. And, and Pat mentioned, you know, who's the third or fourth guy. I think that question is going to be answered. Nick Timberlake's going to be making shots. El Marco Jackson's going to be getting to the basket. I think that this is finally going to be the game where Kansas plays well and plays like the team that everyone thought they were before the season. And if they lose, yeah, no, I think it's going to get potentially ugly, like 10 to 15 points. And they're, they're down by that much the whole game and they're turning it over. And UConn's always seeming to get that put back basket or make that big three when Kansas cuts it to seven or eight. And, and yeah, no, I think, I think one way or another, it's going to be a statement win for that given team who wins. I just, I hope it's Kansas because I want to see them finally play a good 40 minutes. And I will say, like, I mean, the Dickinson-Klingon matchup, I'm really intrigued by that because Klingon's such a great shot blocker that he can potentially rattle a guy like, I mean, Dickinson's been there, done that, but he hasn't faced a guy like Donovan Klingon yet. Um, And Klingon's only a sophomore, so I'm intrigued to see how Dickinson's going to handle it, and hopefully he doesn't handle it in a way where Samuel L. Jackson's calling him out on Twitter. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um, But, so... Let's go back to the other cellar dweller in the Big East. Saturday, Georgetown's got TCU. TCU, not quite at the level they were at a year ago, where they took Gonzaga right down to the wire in round two of the NCAA tournament. And the fact that they're running this matchup back again, second time in three years in D.C., come on, give us something different. Like, And, TC, and it's going to be the same thing. Ryan Patty, TCU is going to be Georgetown, but what do you think the big thing for TCU is going to be to prevent Georgetown from doing the unthinkable? Because, like, look at how they've played. They've bar- they barely got by Merrimack. They barely got by uh, Mount St. Mary's. And, like, it's going to be hard to step up against TCU and expect them to play a full 40 and get an upset here. I think, uh, obviously, uh you know, Georgetown just got to play. If they play fired up, if they play fired up, they can hang around in this game. But to me, TCU, TCU, you mentioned the game against Gonzaga last year, and that's a game they probably should have won. Uh, but, you know, they're just such a good team. I mean, they're so well coached. They're deep. They have a lot of guys who can contribute. I miss Ernest Uday. I'll tell you that. I think he's going to be a guy down the season that TCU is going to be blessed they have uh, just cleaning up on the glass and, uh, you know, just winning the rebounding battle against teams down the stretch of the game. But uh, I think TCU, if Houston takes their lumps, like I think they're going to come conference play, I think TCU might be the third best February, March, a really good team. Jamie Dixon's finally figured it out. And uh, yeah, no, as long as they don't take Georgetown lightly and they don't get flustered if Georgetown comes up riled up, um, I think TCU should win this game pretty handily, but um yeah, no, give me the Horn Frogs, and I think that they're a legit team. And and you mentioned where they were uh, a year ago. I think they're going to get back to to that point. Um, you know, come February and March, that's going to be the team we see. Let's add one more point of misery for Georgetown. Jay Neps <clears throat> suffered a injured hand last night in the Merrimack game, and if Georgetown doesn't have Jay Neps whatever limited hope they have of winning a game against a legitimate opponent, a major opponent such as TCU, that, that just goes right out the window without Jay Nets uh, because they already, they've already suffered some injury. Now, I, I, I'm a, Izad, Ma, Ma, what's his name? Malouf? Mahouf? Uh, yeah, it's Mahoud. Mahouf, the guy who transferred from Kansas State, came back last night after missing the first month of the season, first three weeks of the season. Uh, but I don't know how much of a boost he gives Georgetown, and he certainly doesn't offset whatever they lose with Epps. So I think TCU wins. This could be very ugly. Uh, if you know someone on Georgetown Twitter or Georgetown X, uh, get ready to give them a hug on Sunday because uh, if, if you think they're, they're sort of whining in despair about how they barely got by Merrimack last night, wait till they have to watch uh, TCU blitz them on Saturday afternoon. I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, TCU, I mean, listen, they're 6-0. I know they've played basically nobody, and they're, let's be real, they're going to be playing another, and it's a power conference, nobody. Let's be honest. Uh, especially if Epps is hurt. 
Um, and Masood is not going to save them. Um, and I have that right. It was Masood, not Mahood. Um, it's going to be tough sledding. Uh, Ed Cooley, I know he he knows how to coach against Jamie Dixon, but who's the better coach right now? It's Jamie Dixon. And he's and historically, he's a better coach than Ed Cooley. I mean, I know Ed's had his success, but Jamie Dixon, look at what he did at Pitt. And look at what he was doing back in his alma mater at TCU. Horned Frogs are going to win this game. And I think Jacoby Coles, that's another guy you got to watch. He's He took being the hero last year against Arizona State. He's really carrying the momentum of that into this year as their current leading scorer. Now, Tuesday night, this was an intriguing matchup, Now, especially now that we've seen what Oklahoma has done. They're number 25 in the country, undefeated at 6-0, and and blitzed through San Diego, beating Iowa and USC to get to 6-0. and I mean, I don't know if that ranking is going to change by the time this game happens on Tuesday, I mean, I don't think it will because they're playing Arkansas Pine Bluff tonight before the Providence game. And Friars are quietly 6-1 and with their only loss coming in overtime against Kansas State. Preseason, Pat, I thought Providence was a lot to win this game. But now I'm kind of leaning the other way because Oklahoma has been a pleasant surprise coming out of the Big 12 so far. Yeah, Oklahoma played great in – uh, the tournament out in San Diego. I mean, you don't beat a USC team uh, that has all sorts of NBA talent uh, for nothing. Uh, and the guy who's been the catalyst has been JV and McCallum, uh, who transferred in from Siena uh, to run that offense. And and you know Oklahoma is going to play uh, very good defense. Uh, on the other hand, Providence has a bunch of play. You know, Bryce Hopkins could go off. Devin Carter could go off. Ticket Gaines could go off. Uh, Josh Aduro has been a, been a pleasant surprise in the middle, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how Oklahoma counters that. But this game's also at uh, the, the Lloyd Noble Center down in Norman, Oklahoma. And again, you know, that that's a tough place for teams to win traditionally. Uh, you know, this is this is also Oklahoma's swan song in the Big, Big East Big 12 battle because next year, they're on their way to "quote unquote" greener pastures in the SEC. Uh, so I do think that Oklahoma needs to send a message by having as big a season as possible that they can. Although you know, competing in the SEC is not as hard as competing in the Big Twelve, but I do think that Oklahoma wants to plant the flag this season. This and Porter Moser in particular in his third season at Oklahoma. So I think Oklahoma wins a close one on Tuesday night, but I think that the home crowd. Uh, puts them over the top in what should be a very good game between them and a and a, and a underrated Providence squad. Yeah, no, I, I see them continuing the momentum as well. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Lloyd Noble Center, and um, it can be a tough place to play when they're good, but when when they're not when they're not good, that place is a a graveyard. But uh, when they're good, that place is rowdy and and. Pretty much football is over for them. You know, they'll play their bowl game, but, uh, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna continue the momentum, I think. I think their their lumps are going to come next week. Uh, and, uh, you know, when they play Arkansas and, and North Carolina, I think they still have them on the slate, uh, the rest of this non-conference schedule. And that's when they'll start coming back to life. And, you know, that's when, you know, they'll, they'll start losing in conference play as well. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think Oklahoma wins this game. They've been a pleasant surprise. Um, and yeah, no, I think they win tonight. And then I think they'll, they'll be Providence to get to eight. No, before they, they really start getting tested against the, the meat of their schedule. So, um, we've had a good plethora of games where it's been a, a clean sweep, a consensus agreement. Um, and going into this, I'm like, uh, we, there's a very good chance. Like you would think Oklahoma being 25th in the country. Yeah. We might get a clean sweep. But here's where I'm going to veer off and go the other way. Bryce Hopkins, I think he's finally figured it out again. He had a really rough start to the season in terms of – I mean, he was getting his points, but his shooting percentages were not very good. Last time out against Wagner, he played easily his best game of the year, shooting percentage-wise. Ticket Gaines may have had 21 points to lead the way. But Hopkins had 20 points on 7 of 11 shooting and two of five from long range. For context, that that field goal percentage 
was his best of the year, and he picked it up after shooting 62.5% from the floor in a win over Lehigh on Black Friday. And he early on, I mean, he went 2-for-15 against K-State in the loss. Um, he was 22% against Milwaukee, barely 31% against Columbia. He has not been shooting the ball well, but he has really got a cooking now. And I think he'll continue that in their Ocean State Cup matchup against URI at the Amp on Saturday. And you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think Kim English gets his first big signature win in Norman. Um, Get ready to uh, get, uh, you know, the Adam Silver, you know, get ready to learn Chinese, buddy. I think the people in Norman get ready to learn English, buddy. Um, and he, he's I had, like I, he must have had success, um, that, you know, when he was a Missouri Tiger um, in Norman and against the Sooners, uh, you know, because this was right, at, you know, after Blake Griffin uh, bolted to the NBA. Uh, I think he knows the Sooners. I know Porter Mosher's there and there's some differences. But I'm going to go on a limb and say the Friars get their get an upset in Norman. I know Wisconsin was a big win, a road win against Oklahoma. Since they're actually ranked compared to Wisconsin, even bigger win. Uh, so now let's head to the Little Apple. Same time on ESPN2, Villanova, who is coming off a loss at home to St. Joe's, their first Big Five loss at home since 2012. And they got a Big Five matchup in the – it's the funny, the fifth-place game in the Big Five Classic Saturday <laughs> against Drexel. It would be a horrible distinction to finish sixth in the Big Five Classic in the first year of the 16 format. Tragic. But they're going to the Little Apple to play K-State, who's 5-2 and two right now. Um, lone losses coming against Miami, and then in the season opener against USC in Las Vegas. And they have a game before that against North Alabama on the second before they get Nova. Uh, Ryan, I'll start with you. Um, K-State, I know they're not the same team as they were, you know, when they made the Elite Eight last year in year one of the Jerome Tang era. And they lost quite a bit, you know, Masood, uh, Noel, Keontae Johnson. Uh, but it's it's in Manhattan, so that has to play to K-State's favor, but how much to their favor do you think it's going to be? I think they would have to play a really, really good game, and Nova would have to play real bad for uh, for them to win. I mean, they have, they have some players that I like, Tyler Perry. I mean, and like you said, they're they're retooling. They're not the same team they, uh, they were. Um, Tyler Perry, Cam Carter, and obviously Kaluma's a big addition for them. Uh, but Nova's seen guys like this. They defend guys like this in practice. You know, they, they have a bunch of players like this. So I think they're going to, you know, rise to the occasion. Uh, this is a game where Nova, you know, bounces back and I think makes a lot of shots and, and scores, you know, 80 to 90 points and kind of wins comfortably by, you know, 15 to 20 points. Um, I just don't think Kansas State's ready for a team like Nova. They weren't ready for USC or Miami, you know, with, with uh, good guard playing athleticism. So uh, give me Villanova convincingly. And um and yeah, this is this is Nova's get right game in my opinion. I'll throw out a I'll throw out a simple guarantee. The Wildcats will win. Ha! I mean that's uh, <laughs> the question is which Wildcats will win. Uh what Villanova team shows up? Uh, I'd like to I'd like you know again it. When we make these predictions, you know, you'd like to think that both teams walk into this game and play an A or at least a B-plus level game. And then you can look at it and you can say, well, Villanova at their best is better than Kansas State at their best. Uh, but, you know, you know, we, we people said that about their game against Penn and their game against St. Joe's. And look what happened. Uh, but maybe the fact that they're playing a team that was in the Elite Eight last season. Uh, that they're going on the road, uh, that this this is a good, let's say, warm-up game for Big East action might inspire uh, Villanova to play at a higher level than they did uh, in that game last night uh, at home against St. Joseph's. Uh, but I, I don't think Jerome Tang takes a game like this lightly. I think he knows that he's playing, uh, he's playing an opponent that's been, that's won national championships, that was in the Final Four two seasons ago. So I do think that he will have his team 
ready for this game. And I think that, you know, Brainbridge is a tough play. Brainbridge is going to be rocking for this game. I know Kansas has a lot of struggles when they go out to Brainbridge. So I, I do think came, Brainbridge will provide itself a difficult obstacle in terms of a fan base that's going to be fired up. Uh, but I do think that, you know, when you get more and you get Dixon out there and they've won games like this in the past, uh, that might be just enough to get Villanova over the top on Tuesday night. I mean, the way Villanova looked against St. Joe's, that is not con- not encouraging whatsoever. And it's weird. Their two losses come against big five teams. Um, they lost to Penn in the Palestra, and then at the Finn, they dropped one to St. Joe's. And obviously at the time of recording, they haven't played their game yet against Drexel. It, so it would be ironic, but also kind of funny in a way if they lose all three games in the Big Five Classic and then run the table against everyone else, including that championship in Atlantis. And that would include winning at Kansas State. And I think it's going to happen. K-State will keep it close, but I think Nova uh, storms into Manhattan and gets the win. And by the way, K-State is currently winless in the battle all time. They lost to Marquette twice in 19 and 21. Uh, and then they also lost at Butler last year, uh, which get, that was their first loss of the season. And Villanova, they need this one. Um, even if they beat Drexel, they still need to win this one because after that, they close out non-con with a home game at Wells Fargo against UCLA. Uh, finally returning that home and home that started a couple of years ago with a top five matchup at Pauley Pavilion. But I'm going to take the Wildcats, Villanova Wildcats, that is, not Kansas State. Villanova will keep it close. <laughs> now, K-State will keep it close, but Villanova wins the game. The second game of that ESPN2 doubleheader Tuesday night, a game that I feel like all of us will agree will definitely not be close at the Farrell Center, Center in Waco. Seton Hall at number nine, Baylor, who's currently unbeaten at 9-0, and 7-0 uh, rather, ranked ninth in the country. Uh, Pat, I mean – you know, you and I, we ho- we host hoist the colors, and this we're going to try to like keep it brief with like you know, more of a you know like a like a really oversimplified preview of the game. But Pat um, Seton Hall, I mean, it's going to be an uphill battle in Waco. I mean, that's the simplest way I can put it. Quick point that that surprised me about Baylor: they play offense, which Ryan will attest was not is not been their calling card during their run at the top of the game. Usually a Scott Drew team plays uh, intense defense and that's how they beat you. So uh, this year they, they play offense. Uh, Seton Hall's played better offense, but Butler's got too many weapons. That's why Butler wins this one comfortably. But if you want to, oh, maybe we'll be doing a bigger preview of this early next week before the game Tuesday night. Yeah, no, I mean, right now, I think Baylor, and and I'm hoping, obviously, you know, Kansas on Friday can prove that they're the best in the conference. But right now, Baylor is the best Big 12 team, in my opinion, the way they've played to start the season. Obviously, in that season opener, I think that was in, what was that, in South Dakota, in Sioux Falls? Where they battled back and they won? Yeah, no, I I mean, listen, they're, they're phenomenal. Bridges, Love, R.J. Dennis, I mean, I love every single player they have, and they retooled that roster uh, from what it was a year ago. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the vintage Scott Drew teams playing defense. I mean, this team also, you know, can, can guard. They play good defense. Last year, they did not do that. I, I see major strides defensively this year from the Bale, uh, from the Baylor Bears already. And I think like last year, this is a game where, you know, Seton Hall went to Candace and got, and got annihilated. I think it, the same thing is going to happen. You know, Seton Hall has just had unfortunate luck with the scheduling here where they've you know, they haven't really had a game where they can where they can be in in this battle uh, in the past couple of years. So give me Baylor by a wide margin. I think it could be 25 to 30 points. Um, and, and yeah, no, no, Baylor's just been phenomenal so far. I've been very impressed by them. Yeah, I mean, it'll be hard for me to say that Seton Hall is going to go into into Waco and keep it close. That's just and if you think that's going to be bad, I remember two years ago. Baylor was going to come to Newark in the COVID season for the battle. And this was the Baylor team that would go on to win the national championship. And it was probably going to be the same. And that Seton Hall team in 2020-21 is light, not light years ahead, but significantly better than this current Seton Hall team. Because while they had a Georgian freak named Mamu who could <laughs> do it all. Um, while Kadari Richmond is a good Swiss Army knight for this team, 
Scott Drew and the Baylor Bears are going to have answers for him. And Baylor's going to win this game pretty big. I think if you're Seton Hall, you got to play your butts off if you want to be competitive and not almost get humiliated. I mean, I don't think they're going to get humiliated because Kansas last year was, oh, that was hideous. Baylor, it'll most likely it's going to get ugly, but I think for Seton Hall's sake, I think they're going to have a lot more fight this time around to at least make it a respectable score towards the end in garbage time. So which most likely the way this is going to pan out, the rubber game, if it's tied at five, will be decided in Milwaukee between Texas and Marquette. This is going to be a great game. I can already tell. Marquette at 6-1. and one. They're going to be coming off a game against Wisconsin on the road. They're playing Saturday in Madison. And Texas, they're currently 5-1. and one. Uh, They have Texas State before they head to Milwaukee. Um, so, Pat, uh, I guess I'll start it with you here. Marquette, I know their one loss. No, it didn't really matter because they they're still third in the country right now, despite that loss because of how good they looked in Maui against Texas. Going up against you know Shaka's former team, I mean, I'm not saying there's going to add fuel to the fire here because that's just not going to be the case because Shaka like it's just another game. He's just going to go out there and try to win. But right now, while Texas is good. Marquette just looks better right now. They're playing better, and I just think they're in better position to win this matchup. No, I think you're right. Uh, I wouldn't sleep on Texas. Uh, you know, Max Amos, uh, the 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 former Abilene Christian star who spearheaded, you know, one of the biggest upsets in the 2021 tournament. Or Roberts. Or Roberts, my mistake. Well, Abilene Christian, Abilene Christian beat Shaka Smart in Texas. Yes, so that's right. Yes, they did. I just, I, now that's why Abilene Christian was on the brain. My mistake. Admis, you know, has has won big games before. Hit a big shot a uh, week and a half ago to keep Texas from the big embarrassment of losing to Louisville in Madison Square Garden. Uh, they have Ken McShedrick, who has uh, been a big time scorer in the past. Uh, and they didn't make the Elite Eight last season by accident. Uh, that being said, uh, I think Smart wants this one badly because, you know, he, he has to be pissed off that Texas fired him two seasons ago. Uh, it's in front of a, whole, a crowded five serves that are going to feed into that. Uh, Shaka Smart angst. Uh, so for all those reasons, I think this is – you know, if, if if the circumstances were a little bit different and we didn't have all these intangibles in this game, I think Texas and Marquette is a compelling matchup. Uh, but I think the intangibles might just make it too much. I think if you tell Tyler Kolek that you really want to win a game badly, Kolek will do whatever it takes to win a game like this. And I think he's the one who's going to be a difference between – he's going to be the one that's going to be the difference that's going to get Marquette a win and a win by let's say three possessions. No, I, I like, I mean, I agree completely. I like Marquette as well. Um, I mean, I got, I got to see them in, in Honolulu uh, absolutely, you know, obliterate my team. Um, but I think that game, and this is kind of off, you know, course a little bit, but I think that game against Marquette is what's, you know, going to have Kansas ready to play on Friday. But uh, no, I, I think that this, that this Marquette team's phenomenal. I think that they're, the team that you don't want to run into in, in November and December because they're, you know, experienced, they're sound. Shock has got his style that the players are already feeding into. Um, it, it's kind of the style that he played at VCU and he abandoned that a little bit um, when he was at Texas, just that ferocious style where, you know, you're going to be guarded way, way, you know, outside the the perimeter and, and far from the basket. And, um that's what gave Candace a lot of trouble. Candace turned it over a lot. They didn't get a lot of clean looks and they just took away what uh, they wanted to do. And I think that's what's going to happen to Texas. I think Texas has a lot of athletic guards that love to, you know, get into their rhythm, get to the basket, uh, get in the lane. And when they're not, you know, they like feeding the post. And I'm not sure that that's going to come 
easy. I think Texas is going to turn the ball over a lot. And I think Marquette's going to get to what they want to do on offense and kind of just control the game like they did against Kansas. I see it going very similarly. I think it's going to be a 10 to 15 point game for Marquette. I think Fiserv's going to be bumping. And I think that they're just going to continue the momentum uh, that they've carried the first uh, the first month of the season. So this is an this is interesting because Texas still has a lot of the horses, uh, several of the horses that made them so good, mainly Tyrese Hunter, uh, who currently leads the horns in assists. Um, it, it, it stinks, you know, losing guys like, you know, Marcus Carr, tremendous score. Um, I'm pretty sure Christian Bishop's time is finally up. Um, but Max Aismas stepping into the role of being that go-to guy perfectly. Um, but He's going up against, no disrespect, Max Aismas. He's going up against the reigning Big East Player of the Year and preseason All-American and Big East Tournament MVP, Tyler Kolek. It's going to be, I, that's going to be a fun matchup. I, I Knowing Tyler Kolek and the chip he has on his shoulder whenever he takes the court, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, they exchange, you know, little chirpity chirp between those two guys. I would not be surprised. Because, you know, the, the Rhode Islander and Kolek is going to come out um, if, you know, he gets into a war of words um, and with Aismith. We don't want just a war of words. We want a war of exchanging baskets, making highlight plays at the point. That's what I want to see. The X factor, though, I'm telling – I mean, Oso Iguodaro and Ryan, you saw this. He carved Kansas up. Um, and that was against Hunter Dickinson, no less. Oso was a 6'9 athletic big. And he looked phenomenal against Kansas. I think he's he's going to meet his maker because at the center position, Texas is kind of similar. They don't have a lot of size, but they have athletic bigs like Iguodaro. The X factor in my icebreaker, though, kill a Cam, Cam Jones. I mean, you saw the three, I believe it was either against Kansas or Purdue. He took the shot, looked directly at the bench, and knew it was going in. Like that, I love that confidence, and that rubs off because that's the co- confidence that Tyler Kolek has, and then it rubs off on Cam Jones, it rubs off onto Sean Jones and Chase Ross and Stevie Mitchell and also Iguodaro, David Joplin. I mean, dare I go on? Um, but I think Marquette wins this game. I think Texas will keep it close, but give me the Golden Eagles by a touchdown. I uh, yeah, I know we're this is basketball, but. Everyone knows the touchdown <laughs> with with the PAT with the PAT. I'm gonna make this digestible for you, Texas fans. It's gonna be a touchdown plus the PAT. Marquette by seven, and that's gonna end up being you know what I think will be the game that gives the Big East the win in the Big East Big Twelve battle. Um, I'm pretty sure the last couple of years it's been a split, and. It was an 8-2 route in 2019-20. There will be a winner this time around. That much is a guarantee. And these are the two best conferences in college basketball, arguably going at it, as Ryan said right off the bat. And it all starts tonight from basketball heaven, historic Hinkle Fieldhouse. Well, not basketball heaven, and basketball cathedral. That's the word I was looking for. It all starts in in a cathedral of college basketball, historic Hinkle Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, in the heartland of America. So... Uh, Patrick Madden again from the Big 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 East blog. Can't believe I'm fumbling over my words here. Make sure to check out his content and, of course, our podcast on Seat Hall Basketball Hoist the Colors. Had to make that plug there. And of course, Ryan Patty um, knows the Big Twelve in and out through his Kansas fandom, and also took time out of his you know out of his schedule covering New Jersey high school football uh, to film this um, and the at least for the Igloo. I mean, for now, the final installment of the Big East Big 12 battle preview and uh, third year in a row running it back, the two of us. So gentlemen, um, thank you again for the time. And um, this is quite the, quite a good note to end it on. This was a lot more, this is a lot of fun, probably easily more fun than the previous two editions. Yeah, definitely Tim. Thank you for having me Uh, once again, always love coming on and, uh, talking about this series and um, yeah, no, it should be a good one. I think I had it six, five big 12, but it it seems like, like it's going to come down to just one or two games here uh, because there's a lot of games that we think could be lopsided, but um, the games that are going to come down to the wire are the ones that are going to decide this series. No, I agree. We should have some good ones. 
we'll we'll deal with you know the bad ones we can sort of hide you know there's stuff to watch besides the ball there's all sorts of there's all sorts of good football on Saturday afternoon uh you got the SEC championship going on besides TCU Georgetown so you know again you know you get you'll get some good games that Kansas Connecticut game everyone's going to be watching it and uh, hopefully it'll be a lot closer than Ryan or I think it's going to be. So that is going to do it for this bonus edition of the Igloo. As again, we previewed this year's Big East Big 12 battle, the fifth installment in this series. So for Pat Madden and Ryan Patty, I'm Tim Best. Thanks for tuning in to the Igloo, the coolest podcast in all college basketball.